welcome. This is the Motormouth Podcast with myself, Harry Benjamin, and Tim Sylvie, where in each show we sit down with a figure from the world of motorsport and dive into how exactly they ended up where they are now. F1 champions, team principals, Formula E, and touring car stars. If there's anyone with a story to tell, they'll usually tell it right here. Motormouth is an app and website where you can catch up with all the latest F1 gossip at motormouth.club and view live timings across a race weekend with our app. We're also proud to be partnered with the Brain Tumor Charity, helping to raise awareness and help find a cure through events like our annual karting race, where you can go head-to-head against professional drivers, all to raise vital funds. For more info, check out motormouthkartrace.com. This podcast is brought to you by F1 Experiences, the official experience, hospitality and travel programme of Formula One. F1 Experiences is the closest you can get to the pinnacle of motorsport. And let's face it, any chance to get close to Formula One, we're all over it. Enjoy the very best race tickets and track hospitality, first-class hotels and unprecedented access you simply cannot get anywhere else. For more information on how you can book your F1 experience, visit f1experiences.com, where you can also save 5% on your very own F1 experiences package by using the code MM11F1E when checking out online. So, what are you waiting for? Experience the 2022 F1 season firsthand with exclusive access courtesy of F1 Experiences. Get booking today at f1experiences.com. Hi, I'm Tim Sylvie, and today is a special day, listeners. We've had F1 team principals, former F1 world champions, F1 pioneers, and retired legends. But we've never had a current Formula One driver until today. But before we come to him, I have to introduce introduce my lofty bearded colleague, Harry Benjamin. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Gearing up for uh, Imola this weekend, doing the, the F3 coverage. So looking forward to that. Prepping hard. Good. a boy. Doing your revision. That's what I like to hear. Absolutely. Um, we are pushed for time today. So um, I'm going to introduce our, our special guest very shortly. But before I do, our guest today hails from Toronto in Canada. And Harry, I know how you like your geography. So can you tell me, what does Toronto have more of than any other city in North America? Is it... A, golf courses, B, bars, C, cinemas, or D, hedgehogs? Um, <laughs> hedgehogs. Absolutely wrong. It's golf oh, courses. Okay. They have 13 golf courses in the city itself and 87 oh. golf courses within 20 miles. One more for you before we bring him in. What ethnicity in Toronto is the largest outside of its home country? Is it Greek, Filipino, German, or Italian? Oh, oh. I want to say German. You're wrong. It's Italian. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Toronto has the largest population of Italians anywhere in the world outside of Italy itself. So this has been a terrible start to yeah. the show, really. Appalling. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. shall I introduce today's guest? I think we'd better get on with it, yeah. So today, it's our pleasure to be joined by Williams F1 driver, Nicholas Latifi. He's a man who graduated through karts, Formula 3, Formula Renault 3.5 and F2 on his way to the top of the sport. It's a real joy to have him here. Nicky Latifi, a massive welcome to the Motormouth podcast. Thank you for having me. And I do have to say, I had to kind of stop myself from jumping in and giving my own uh, (laughs) answer to those questions. And uh, I could uh, happily say that I would have got them both right. Yes. uh, (laughs) Oh, no. Well, that's better that you did. But, uh, well, crucial question for you now, though. Is it, is it Nikki, Nick, Nicholas? What are we like? Uh, we could go for Nikki. That's uh, kind of what, uh, yeah, what I'm called more, more often than not in the, uh, the paddock kind of, yeah. 
All right, then. in the team. <laughs> well, I mean, it's an absolute pleasure to, to have you join us. Thank you for taking the time. Uh, we start all of our shows with pretty much the same question. And we like to go back to sort of the start of sort of well, your life, your career. And, and when the sort of racing bug bit you, what was it that made you go, I want to be a racing driver? Um, well, uh, I guess firstly, I kind of have to just say how I got into the sport. And uh, it was definitely no uh, racing bug that maybe it was it was really just a fluke uh, to be honest how i how i got involved um i started very very late uh started the first time i drove any kind of go-kart just in a kind of arrive and drive uh kind of environment was when i was 12 years old Uh, and this just again completely by fluke happened to go to a go-kart track with my um some of my family members, cousins, older brother and dad. And uh, yeah, we just kind of made a fun weekend out of it. Um, Thought I was pretty good. Enjoyed it. (laughs) Enjoyed it quite a lot. Was uh, the youngest one there. I was uh, going around quicker than a lot of the older people. And uh, yeah, basically I ended up finding a a go-kart track about 40 minutes from, from where I lived in in, in Toronto, an indoor place just to kind of frequent on the weekends as a hobby with my older brother and and my dad. And uh, I guess the cheesy way to say it, but it's it is the truth of how it happened. the The owner of that track at the time was a ex racing car driver and uh, was coaching drivers at the time, and he kind of saw some talent in me uh, for never having really any experience, never having driven go karts before. And he's the one who convinced me and my my parents to to let's say make me try racing. Uh, and, and the funny thing is, which uh, people always laugh when I say this, but on a, on a number of occasions, I said no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I didn't have, uh, I mean, at the time, I didn't really have any interest in wanting to race. It, it was something that I, I really liked. Uh, I, I wouldn't go as far to say as loved at, at that point in time. It was just you know a hobby I really enjoyed doing on the weekend, some kind of family bonding. Uh, you know, there was obviously elements that I loved about it, you know, the, the kind of speed and this, this was indoor karting I was doing. So kind of, you know, driving between the tire bearers and whatnot. And after kind of a, a few attempts at trying to convince me, it was kind of, uh, well, you know, if I don't like it, I don't have to continue it. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so I obviously got a, you know, tried my first proper race, uh, four stroke go-kart at the time. So quite, quite slow compared to what I ended up racing. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I got hooked. I mean, uh, I loved it, uh, and and the rest is history. <laughs> and and you uh, you eventually worked your way up through Italian Formula Three. You did the Macau Grand Prix, which is an absolutely spectacular race. Um, and fast forward to 2019, runner up in F2 behind Nick De Vries, a year in which you led much of the season. You notched up several wins. That must have been a, a pleasing sort of breakthrough year for you, but also a little bit frustrating in equal measure that you weren't able to quite tip it off with a championship victory. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think going into that year, I always knew it was kind of going to be my, let's say, my, my last shot. I ended up really having, you know, the uh, kind of year of, of worthy of, you know, graduating up to Formula One, let's say. So, yeah, it's, it started off very, very strong. I think uh, three wins in the first three rounds. Uh, yeah, leading the championship. And then, yeah, it kind of started to get away from me. A, a few races of kind of mistakes from my side, bad luck as well. And, uh, yeah, I mean, in the end, it was it was a nice fought championship. Obviously, Nick was a very deserving winner, but still very pleased with the, with the season I I produced. And um, yeah, ultimately, it got me here to where I am today. Well, and you are obviously in Formula One, so that must be pretty damn cool. What was it like to drive an F1 car for the first time? Do you remember the feelings that you felt stepping up into an F1 car? And actually, when was the first time you drove an F1 car? 
yeah, I mean, I definitely do remember that feeling. Um, so it was, yeah, obviously prior to me uh, being a racing driver in, in Formula One, um, as I was, I got the opportunity when I was still in uh, Formula Two, which I, at the time was called GP2, and that was with uh, Renault. So, uh, well, now now Alpine at the time. There's been a lot of changes in yeah. <laughs> team names and stuff through, throughout the years. But uh, yeah, this was a V8 car, so uh, much louder, much higher pitch compared to the current um, V6 turbos, uh, kind of hybrid era cars that we use now. And uh, yeah, I mean, I just remember when the car fired up for the first time in that loud, kind of deafening roar, uh, let's say, and uh, yeah, obviously pulling out of the pit lane, feeling that, that speed, the kind of first time putting your, your foot flat to the floor, uh, the kind of you know vibration and a little, little bit of a sense of butterflies you get as well the first time going full swallow down the straight, but then very quickly goes away because obviously I was, was always used to, to the speed, but that first time always when you step up to a, a new category and you feel that extra power, it's always a bit like, it's a, it's a refreshing feeling. But then, yeah, one that quickly feels very normal yeah. after a, a lap or two. <laughs> does, the, does that normalization of Formula One happen as well when you, when you go onto the grid for the first time and you're surrounded by legends of the sport and you're sitting there thinking holy crap, I've made it. I'm here. I'm on the grid. I'm surrounded by Fernando Alonso and Sebastian Vettel. But what were the feelings like then? Did you have time to sort of take it all in or is it all a bit of a blur? Yeah, so, I mean, uh, I had uh, I was fortunate enough to experience uh, driving on a Grand Prix race weekend uh, a number of times before actually being a full-time race driver. So throughout my kind of test and reserve driver duties across the years, before 2020 my so my debut season uh yeah i got to drive in some fp1 sessions uh in which i was you know able to drive on a real grand prix weekend and share the track with with a lot of these guys and you know for sure the first one the second one uh you know i even got the opportunity to to drive twice in my home grand prix fp1 session um it it did feel very very different very cool to be well firstly driving on an official weekend uh, but as well sharing the track with you know all other 19 drivers at the time. Um, but then there was definitely, I would say, a different, more unique feeling once I had signed uh, at the end of the 2019 uh, year to be the full-time race driver and uh, kind of the whole build-up into the, uh, of the winter season, the preseason of 2020, kind of arriving on track to the preseason testing, kind of starting to sink in a little bit more. And then... When I got to Australia, that was supposed to be the first race that year. During the Thursday, I was remember I was in the press conference with Lewis Hamilton, <clears throat> Sebastian Vettel, and uh, Daniel Ricciardo. Obviously, he was the homeboy there. That was kind of again quite special. Yeah. And then COVID happened. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, and and we all got sent home the next day. Yeah. So. Ruined it for everyone. <laughs> it, it ruined it. Ruined it for everybody. Yeah. And uh, yeah, then my kind of debut was put on hold for three three and a half months or something like that. So. For sure, by the time things ended up get, getting going again, I think it was beginning of July, and we, we, we started off in, in Austria. Uh, it definitely felt different. It, it didn't feel like, let's say, how I was expecting my debut in, in Formula 1 to be. Just from the, you know, obviously the, everything, the driving-wise and the on-track was all the same, but, you know, all the other kind of hype, uh, you know, the fans, the kind of grand spectacle that is F1, the media, that was all obviously very, very toned down. But to a certain extent, I think that also kind of made it a bit, uh, in a way, nicer for me to kind of, uh, let's say, experience Formula, my first races and kind of maybe first year of Formula One that way because, you know, 
I, I guess speaking bluntly, you know, all, all, all of the extra stuff besides the driving and the working with the engineers, uh, it, it, it's kind of all just extra stuff. I mean, not, I won't go as far to say as, as a distraction, yeah. but that's not the priority uh, of the job. It's kind of just all all noise, and a lot of it is part of the job. Uh, but as a racing driver, you know, you know, I'm there to drive the car fast, work with the team, try and understand how I could drive better, learn, get the car better, working with the team. Uh, and then there's just a lot of other aspects that is, that is a part of the job. So I was kind of shielded from that, let's yeah. say, the, the first year. Yeah. And uh, especially towards the end of last year when fans were starting to come back in full capacity uh, this year, you know, no, no more restrictions for the most part. It's uh, It's been very refreshing to get to experience that, uh, albeit very late, let's say, uh, uh, not later, not really into my Formula One career, but just later than, yeah. than it would have been and kind of really experiencing what a real Formula One race weekend is like when uh, the, the full atmosphere is, is there. So you're saying you didn't become a Formula One driver so you could appear on podcasts for 30 minutes. I'm quite, I'm quite shocked by that, really. really. So, uh, <laughs> this yeah. is a highlight. Yeah, you, you might be heart, heartbroken to hear and know that. Oh, <laughs> devastating. What a shame. Devastating. But, it's interesting about you saying, you know, it was a bit of a, yeah, a different start, certainly, to uh, most rookies' F1 careers. But fast forward to, to this year, and obviously the regulations have changed dramatically since you first arrived in Formula 1. We've seen, you know, lots of aero bits removed. We've got ground effect coming in. Uh, how has that been so far for, for you adapting to the car? And Do you like this this new era of Formula 1 that's that's been imposed? Yeah, I mean, I'm a... A huge fan and supporter of it. I think it's for me on the personal side. It's been quite refreshing and a very, let's say, uh, unique challenge to kind of get on top of it. I mean, I would say, you know, what I've been saying, kind of coming into this year and into preseason, is it, it, it kind of feels more like a first real year of how I always kind of expected Formula One to be in terms of. Uh, I guess just to give a, a bit of background, you know, when you come from junior categories, you know, everyone's given the same car. Uh, you know, there's, there's no new, new bits to play with. You just play around with the, the kind of setup options you have. Obviously, coming into Formula One my first year in 2020, uh, you know, for sure it was a big step driving a, a brand new car for me at the time. But those cars were very similar ev- evolutions off the previous year's cars. And that was the same going into 2021. I mean, there was almost no changes besides these, these minor changes to the to the floor. Everyone had to kind of reduce the size of their the, the diffuser. But because of the regulations, there wasn't really a lot of scope to really develop the car and and, and kind of you know bring a lot of new parts, kind of really game changing parts. You know, we refer to them as as, as upgrades and developments. Um, but this year, coming into this year, you know, a completely fresh, clean slate. You know, a, a whole uh, you know, just such a, a big opportunity for for every team to kind of depending on where you start, what you see, to kind of learn from other teams, see the different directions and setup and uh, uh, aerodynamic philosophies that teams have adapted, and kind of really try and help guide the team and push for you know what's the direction we need to go in. Um, obviously, as well, being able to kind of look forward to new upgrades and new parts we, we don't have at the at the moment coming, but we will have just as many other teams will have as well. And uh, that kind of part I felt I, I missed in the first two years of, of F1 and coming into this year, um, which is, again, really helped by these new new rules and kind of fresh late. It's, uh, yeah, been really exciting and refreshing to me. And I think, you know, just firstly, the, the changes that and the guidelines that F1 made with these new cars. I mean, I think it's clear with three races in, they're, uh, <laughs> they, they've achieved what they've set out to do, which is 
kind of shake up their running order a little bit, firstly, uh, not just at the top, but even in the midfield, improve the racing, cars can follow closer and uh, just create a better show. And, uh, you know, for me, firstly, as a, as a fan of the sport as well, uh, you know, when I've been able to watch the races back on Monday, once I get back to my, my, uh, my flat in, in London, uh, yeah, I, I've enjoyed the races quite a lot. A quick interruption to the show to remind you to check out our sponsor, F1 Experiences. F1 Experiences offer a wide range of packages that come direct from Formula One, giving you a unique experience of the pinnacle of motorsports. Official ticket packages come with the very best race tickets, first-class hotels and transfers, and unprecedented access, including track tours, pit lane walks, VIP hospitality, and loads more. It really is the closest you can get to Formula One. And Motormouth listeners can save 5% on your next F1 Experiences package by using the code MM11F1E when booking online at F1Experiences.com. It's good. I mean, it's, it's the, the, the regulations have definitely, um, like you say, created that closer racing. I mean, we saw some incredible lines of cars following closely behind each other in Australia. It's amazing to see. So it's obviously working. Um, As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about Wix. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. One thing that we've also seen this time, this, this year for the first time, is this porpoising effect where the drivers are literally hopping their way down the straights. What's that like? When it, That must be seriously irritating, if nothing else. Um, yeah, I think irritating is, can be a good word to describe it. I mean, yeah, it's obviously a, a new uh, experience for a lot of us drivers. I, I, I was going to say new phenomenon, but it's, it's not new because it's, it has existed before with, you know, obviously older generation cars that's, you know, relied more on ground effects. Um, so yeah, it was, it was very weird experiencing for the first time in Barcelona preseason testing. At first you're a bit uneasy because, you know, you're cruising down the straight over 300 kilometers an hour and the car is just bouncing up and down like crazy, you know, smashing the, the, the bottom of the floor to the, to the asphalt. You're thinking, going at the speed like one is the car going to break is it just suddenly going to like lose all the downforce and veer off one yeah. way and obviously just with you know driving it and tons of repetition you kind of start to realize okay the car is still sticking it's just a very it's more of an annoyance let's say i mean there's yeah. obviously a, a, a reliability and car damage element if it's very extreme um but uh, yeah i mean i think it's been a very unique challenge for a lot of teams to try and understand uh, I mean, there's teams clearly that are happy to run with a lot of porpoising. Uh, I think Ferrari is probably the most visible one. Yeah. Uh, there's teams clearly that have been more outspoken that you know they really can't afford to have it, and whether that's for drivability, for reliability. Uh, I mean, 
I guess Mercedes is the one team that's been very outspoken about it and how it's limiting their cars. But yeah, every team is kind of having to combat it in their their own way, uh, maybe compromising a bit the pure potential of the car. Uh, but that's that's part of yeah, that, that that's part of the game. We have across all the teams, some of the smartest minds in kind of aerodynamics and, and, and Formula One, and uh, that's part of the challenge. Did they did yeah. they know that uh, going into that testing? Was it a shock when it happened, or, or were people like, "Yeah, that, we kind of expected that to happen with the ground effect"? Um, so I, I obviously can't speak for a lot of the other teams and drivers. Uh, it, it, it was a, it was kind of a surprise for me to uh, let's say feel it for the first time, but I had kind of been warned about it uh, from. Um, my uh, my driver coach, who I've been working for with a long time, because uh, he drove in an era that ground effects was was there, and uh, had kind of been saying how, you know, <laughs> how crazy it was, yeah, how crazy it was to to drive and how it could be difficult to. I mean, this, he was driving uh, kind of the equivalent of uh, let's say LMP1 at the time back then. So he was like saying how difficult it would be to see out of the windshield, uh, kind of going down, your kind of teeth vibrating, chattering the whole way down the straights. Uh, so kind of when I did feel it for the first time, I was not like, "What is this? This is strange." Like I knew exactly what it was. Yeah. It was just very, very strange to actually feel it driving at 300 kilometers over 300 kilometers an hour <laughs> it, it's i mean yeah uh, well good thing he warned you but uh, <laughs> so at least you had pre- preparation of what was to come um off track though i do want to touch on on some of the things because you've been quite uh vocal especially after the events of, of abu dhabi and i don't want to go back and rehash <clears> all of that but just looking back at, at where you are now with it obviously there was a lot of social media backlash particularly aimed at you and you felt the need to come out with a statement as well you received some horrible messages and social media can be a, a really horrible place and even just talking to you for 20 minutes now you know you clearly are a very nice personable man so you know people messaged behind these bizarre profiles that you don't know who they are how do you reflect on on that whole situation at the moment what do you think why do you think it occurs you know so much now particularly aimed at at f1 yeah i think um you know obviously with the let's say modern day and age of social media and the access it gives to people i mean i Uh, you know, I've I've always been a, a fan of social media. I mean, I, I use it quite a lot, and there's you know clearly a whole list of positives and, and and cool things that it allows for people. I mean, it's a way for people to stay connected. It gives, I guess, fans and supporters uh, incredible amounts of access to you know not only individuals but different sports, different organizations that they otherwise wouldn't wouldn't normally have. So there's a lot of positives to to go along with it. At the same time, there's clearly uh, a huge negative a- aspect to it. And yeah, kind of like what you were saying in the sense that, you know, people can hide behind uh, profiles and, you know, write and, and send out you know, negative, negative comments, negative thoughts, um, you know, inappropriate uh, things that, you, you know, you wouldn't otherwise say or, mentioned to someone if you were seeing them face to face and then that you probably wouldn't write or say if if your kind of name was exposed uh, let's say so there's a whole negative aspect to it i mean i i still believe there's far more positives to it but it's just about you know kind of knowing how to deal with the negative negative side of it and specifically in, in, in my situation yeah after abu dhabi it was obviously a very 
you know, high profile incidents. Uh, and I mean, I, as soon as it all happened, I kind of, uh, you know, once the race unfolded, uh, so the result of the race unfolded, I kind of knew exactly what I was going to be in for. Um, and, and that's just, you know, highlights the harsh reality that I was aware of, and I'm sure most people <laughs> were, were aware of. So, yeah, I mean, I felt it was really important for me to use my platform uh, and my following to kind of spread that message I did with with my statements. Um, you know, I, there was definitely a point when I was, as I mentioned in my statement, kind of going back and forth. Uh, you know, how, how do I want to address this? Do I just want to kind of let it pass and in a few weeks kind of just return like, like nothing happened? Or, you know, actually kind of try and use the incident to kind of spread a positive message. And I felt it was really important to do that. Very happy that I did so. Uh, you know, I've now partnered with an organization called CyberSmile, which kind of aims to spread awareness and kind of tackle this issue of kind of cyberbullying, online hate and abuse. And yeah, looking forward to, to working with them this year to kind of, again, try and educate people and uh, yeah, just spread some positive messages. Yeah, fair, fair play. I mean, I think from, you know, an outsider looking in, someone who's a fan, um, you know, Harry and I have talked about it. I think you, you dealt with it incredibly well. And and I don't know whether you do your own PR or you have someone to help you, but whoever it was um, hit the nail on the head. I, th- I think you dealt with it supremely well and, and have come out of it um, all the better. Um, now, um, with Williams specifically, it feels like... Um, albeit it's, it's not been totally smooth sailing this season, but it feels like compared to a couple of years ago, things are changing. We're turning a corner and heading in the right direction. New owners, new management, there's some performance there. Dare we dream that Williams is just starting to uh, to make its way back up the grid? I think, you know, uh, if, if, I think um, speaking about this year, as you said, we're clearly not starting off where we want it to be, but irrespective of, of where we are right now, uh, I could definitely, you know, say, I think all the, the right foundations are being put in place to, to have that resurgence and to, to get Williams back to, you know, where, where we want to be. I mean, obviously I, I think every team wants to be in a position to firstly fight for points then fight for podiums, ultimately fight for wins and championships, which, you know, obviously Williams knows all about is the second, second most successful team all time. In Formula One history, um, and yeah, we have we have new owners in charge now for about about a year and a half, and new management, uh, a new structure coming into a place. A lot of new people have joined the team uh, over the past little while, um, but I guess you know being uh, to say pragmatic and realistic. Unfortunately, in, in Formula One, everything takes a lot of time. It's it's very difficult to uh, have a a very abrupt change in, in form both ways, really going, going forward and, and, and going backwards. But I think it's, it's, it's always going to be harder to have that, that upturn and, and that, you know, large increase in performance. Uh, so the, there's a lot of positive things going on behind the scenes. It's, it is a very long process. It is a very slow process, but that's, that's just the nature of, of formula one. Um, so yeah, the, the team has a, you know, short-term, long-term vision. Uh, obviously we want to get back to more competitive ways. It's, it's clear uh, that we're not starting off how, how we hope this year. Uh, but I have all confidence in the team that's, uh, with time we will get there yeah that's that's great i was was just going to ask just uh you know going a bit more highbrow as we we tend to do um do you have any hidden talents what are you good at that nobody knows about um what am i good at that nobody knows let's say hidden talents 
uh, I mean, I, I was always big, big into video games. I mean, I don't play so much, so much uh, now. But uh, and surprisingly, not racing video games. I, mean, I was going to say, yeah. I, I'm, I'm actually, I actually consider myself very bad at racing video games. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, I, I was quite the Call of Duty player oh, when yeah. I was in my uh, teens to, to late teens. Uh, haven't played in a while, unfortunately. <laughs> did a little bit during, well, did a lot during lockdown. Uh, yeah, COVID lockdown. So, I'm streaming on Twitch like a lot of drivers got into. <clears throat> I'm just trying to think. Other hidden, hidden talents. Any how's, your, uh, how's your cooking? Can you, any instruments? I, I can make some very good Nutella crepes. Uh, oh, yes, of that, course. That, 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 that's, that's my specialty. Just breakfast foods in general. Uh, I'm quite handy with anything else. Not so much. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Um, now, before we, we're nearly out of time with you, Nikki, but before we come on to our final three questions, um, if you were a team boss, who would be your ideal driver pairing? And you couldn't obviously pick yourself. So if I was a team boss, uh, ideal driver pairing. Um, does it have to be? Could it be of any driver? Any in, era, I think. F- F1? Any, any, any era, whatever any era. you want. Okay, any era. Okay, so I mean, I, I think, uh, although it's obviously way, way before my my era. Uh, I mean, you have to choose uh, a guy like Ayrton Senna. We'd be curious to see as a team boss, uh, you yeah. know, from the inside, why he was regarded as uh, as one of the best ever. So it would definitely be cool to to experience that, and then to pair him alongside. I mean. I'd, I'd probably want to go with, uh, you know, one of the, the younger generation guys, newer guys, but someone like, you know, George, Max, or, or Charles. Um, yeah, just to kind of have that comparison and kind of two, mm. two completely different eras and generations. Yeah, I think a solid, solid choices all around. And by the way, you, while we're on that subject of being a team boss, what, long-term aspirations? Will would, would, would we, would we see you in a management role or in a, a team boss capacity, you know, 15, 20 years from now? Uh, that's very difficult to say 15, 20 years from now. I mean, I, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't even know what I'm going to be doing a, a week from now. True, <laughs> me neither. Um, but... Uh, I mean, at the moment, I would say no, uh, but that's just because my sole kind of focus and kind of narrow vision is on being a racing driver in Formula One. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, we'll see what happens in 15, 20 years. (laughs) We'll come back and ask you. Um, We have a final three questions, which we asked to all of our guests. They're brought to us by our friends at F1 Experiences and Grid Rival. Um, I'll kick off this week. Uh, Nikki, what's got you excited at this very moment? What's got me excited at this very moment? Um, I mean, it's the the first sprint race weekends uh, that we're going to have this year, which, yeah. uh, you know, I was a big fan of them last year. Um, there was definitely some things that I felt could have been improved with the formats. Uh, I think there's been some cool changes to, you know, giving more points uh, in the sprint race. But yeah, I'm just looking forward to getting the first sprint race out of the way. I mean, it's getting on with it quickly. One practice to kind of set everything for the qualifying races. Uh, the track I like we're probably going to get some wet weather as well so it's pretty exciting yeah yeah, they really throw you into it don't they on a sprint race weekend with that sort of rejigged format um, second question for you uh, how much of your success is down to luck and right place right time and then how much is down to hard work and then other elements um, it, it's it's definitely a combination of, of both and I would say that would be the same for for, for everybody in the sport. Cause I mean, as, as we've seen, 
many, many times just, you know, the kind of hard work and getting the performance is, is often not enough, especially if there's just no seats available in, in Formula One. So uh, obviously I had the year I, I did and got some good performances. And that happened to just coincide with the right time with the team that I was the reserve driver with had an had an opening uh and i happened to be the reserve driver for that sorry, for that team right so if i was I had a link with another team then that opportunity probably wouldn't have come up so it's it's definitely a, a, a bit of both yeah and our very final question for you and take this as deep or as shallow as you like what are you scared of what am i scared of oh okay i see why you say deep or shallow uh on the shallow front spiders and snakes yeah uh <laughs> nice um, which thankfully I managed to escape Australia without oh, of having course. A, 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 a encounters with any tarantulas then in the hotel room. No, no, no. no I was staying on a pretty high up floor, thankfully. So. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, on a on a deeper level, um, what am I scared of? Uh, losing. <laughs> yeah. I don't like to lose. <laughs> no, I won't. I like you know. We've had a lot of uh, other drivers. You know, failure is certainly up there as well. You know, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I, 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 that's what I was kind of thinking around with failure. But, but in a in a kind of like positive way. I mean, obviously, it's, it's it, it keeps you important, going. It's important, it? to, it's important to fail, or like when I say, you know, maybe failure is a very extreme word. It's important to make mistakes and learn from them. And you, mm. you know, if you want to go to the extreme sense, you could say if you make a mistake or do something wrong, it is a minor failure that lets it's important to kind of experience and learn from them um, but yeah obviously not not wanting to fail can be a huge uh, motivator motivator so yeah i feel yeah. i feel a failure can be pretty important too uh, well i mean you're not alone in that one but look we've come to the end of our time with you nikki it's been absolutely brilliant to, to get to know you a little bit more and, and chat about uh, your career to start with where you are now where you're going it's a challenging start but we'll back you all the way as well so best of luck for this weekend in Imola and for the rest of the season Nicholas Latifi thank you so much for coming on to the Motormouth podcast thank you for having me guys appreciate it if you've been listening to this and thinking actually I really want to go and experience a race for myself in person why not do it in style at a Formula 1 Grand Prix thanks to F1 Experiences the official experience hospitality and travel program of Formula 1 F1 experiences really is the closest you can get to the sport official ticket packages which include the best race tickets first class hotels travel and exclusive behind the scenes access across a grand prix weekend f1 experiences offer packages like no other so to book your f1 experiences package head online to f1experiences.com and if you enter code mm11f1e you'll get five percent off too thank you so much for listening to the motormouth podcast do make sure you give us a follow on our socials twitter at motormouth underscore instagram at motormouth underscore official and facebook just search motormouth you can also download the motormouth app where you can get exclusive video content from mmtv create your own social profile to interact with other fans and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy we're also proud to be supporting the brain tumor charity too so make sure you check the links in the podcast description to find out how you can help cure brain tumors quicker don't forget to like subscribe and review and until next time you've been listening to the Motormouth Podcast.